Welcome to the Dear White Women podcast. We're your hosts, Sarah and Misasha. All right. So excited to introduce Kibi Anderson on today's show. Kibi, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, please? Absolutely. Hey, everybody. I am excited to be here. So, you know, I am a black woman, first of all, and I think that's relevant to the conversation that we're having today. But I'm also a storyteller. I have worked in the media and entertainment space for kind of the past 20 years. I currently work for a show called Red Table Talk. I run Red Table Talk Enterprises, which is the business behind the hit show starring Jada Pinkett Smith and her mom and daughter on Facebook Watch. And I am an avid lover of people. And I'm always excited to talk about conversations and topics that are influencing how we interact, how we learn, how we grow. So I'm really excited to be here. So excited to have you. I am really grateful for this episode. We get to talk with Kibi Anderson. And first of all, seriously, thank you for being the authentic, open, kind human being I remember from our college days. (laughs) As we just said, it's been a long time since those days. Time has flown, but you've done a ton of stuff and lived all over the place since then. Being a storyteller, doing incredible stuff like, oh, I don't know, winning an Emmy for your film producing. (laughs) (laughs) Most recently, you are the president of Red Table Talk Enterprises. And I think it started as the series on Facebook Watch with Jada Pinkett Smith and her daughter and her mom. But now it's expanding, correct? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, no, we've got big, big visions and big plans for where we want to take kind of what was seeded by the show and turn it into, you know, kind of a global brand, you know, multifaceted multi-platform content experience for fans who are, you know, really connecting with the mission of the show around building, you know, vulnerable spaces where people can be vulnerable, where we can have authentic conversations, we can do healing. But yeah, no, we've got a really exciting game plan ahead. I'm so excited to see where this goes. That's awesome. Well, we are not here to talk about your work. We are here to talk about appearances and hair, basically, right? And to to be super duper clear, I'm really grateful that you agreed to be here because Misasha and I were talking about it. I mean, it's not the responsibility of any person of color to explain or educate others on anything about your body, but you were willing to come on here and do this, which means a lot to me. And to be clear, since nobody else can see you, even though we're on video conference, you are identified as a black woman. Yep, black woman. And so, you know, I'm I'm so glad that... what made you decide to come on? Because it is a really personal thing to talk about hair. What, you yeah, what made you come on? Like, that's, it's amazing. Yeah, well, you know, it's interesting. It's funny. My boyfriend has an eight-year-old little girl, and she is thoroughly in, like, engaged with the idea of coming into her understanding of beauty and, you know, clothes and makeup and all that kind of stuff. And hair has actually become a really interesting thing. She just straightened her hair for the first, well, for one of the first times. And not permanently, but she put like a relaxer, I mean, a straightening comb to kind of bring it through. And I'll be honest, in preparation for this chat with you guys, it really brought back home a lot of my own memories of being a young little girl growing up and kind of thinking and examining and trying to understand how significant hair is in our development. You know what I mean? I think we grow up in a country like America where at the end of the day, you have a lot of standards of beauty that are not centered in kind of African culture and African qualities. And it influences you, you know, and seeing the difference between how she was when I had her hair up in a beautiful puff, you know, with her cute little curls and more natural to like watching her in the mirror, like brushing her hair when it was straight and like having this like really 
almost magical connection to this idea of like, oh my God, I have this long hair. It does something to you because you want to make sure that she believes she's beautiful in both states. And, you know, as a young girl, I remember having that exact experience, you know, when I would get my hair straightened and I actually had a relaxer back in the day, you know, so you would see the difference between, you know, how I experienced, you know, running my hands through my hair when it was straight versus natural. You know, it's not something that's easy. It's very complex. And I think it's just important for us to continue to have these kind of conversations because we are continuing to see young girls, young black girls still battle with these issues of, you know, am I worthy? Am I beautiful if my hair is not straight? Am I, you know, am I able to get the attention of, you know, men and a potential partner if, if I don't have, you know, what I think media describes as traditional standards of beauty. So that's why I wanted to talk about it. You know, I mean, I, like I said, I have my own experience. I'm seeing it with, you know, my boyfriend's daughter now. It's, it's significant. Hair in the black female community is big. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And I don't know if Misasha can talk. So right prior to the airing of this episode, we did an episode on the history of black hair, the rich history of the legacy of black hair, sort of tracing it through the centuries, basically. But the reason it was so current to us and Misasha, I don't know if you want to take this part, but it was really personal for you and your kids. Yeah. I mean, so I'm married to a black man. I have two super mixed race kids. And people, well, so two stories, one in our notes, it states that, you know, the experience that I mentioned of people coming up to us on the playground and we live in a predominantly white area and just, you know, putting their hands on my kid's hair, which is really weird to me. And, you know, like there's some other that, you know, like I don't go up and rub someone's belly. I, you know, I'm not (laughs) petting people's hair on the street. So that to me, and, and everyone thought that that was just totally normal. So that was one thing. And recently my kids have been talking and I hear them in the bathroom getting ready and they're talking about how they really want straight hair Mm. and how this is like straight hair is really cool. Um, And neither of them have straight hair to clarify. Like, and (laughs) they're trying in the shower, they try and wet their hair. So it sort of sits heavier. So it's straighter. And so I didn't realize this dialogue was going to start for them at six and five. But it sounds like, you know, that in the story that you were talking about with your boyfriend's daughter, that's clearly it's such a big thing. So that was sort of the impetus behind why we wanted to really talk about hair and black hair. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, it starts so young. I mean, like I said, she's eight, you know, six, five. I mean, it's, you know, there's never an earlier time to start, I think, continuing to make sure that you're providing a very open space for these kind of conversations. You don't want people to feel bad about certain, you know, just like perceptions that they may have, you know, because you don't really know what's influencing it. But at the same time, you want them to feel proud of who they are and proud of their natural state. And that's the big thing for me, which, you know, as I think about my evolution as a woman, you know, because I went, I cut my, I mean, just to kind of jump into it. I mean, I cut my hair off when I was about 17 and this is back in like the early nineties where like <laughs> having short curly, like Kiki was not in, <laughs> you know, all the music videos were like light skin, long hair, you know, that it. you know, and I'm a, I'm a chocolate brown girl, you know, so it was pretty radical, but I did it when I lived abroad. So that was a bit of a safety net for me because I was living in a foreign country. I was living in Asia. I'd gone over there with braids in my hair, but quickly realized that 90 degree, hundred percent humidity, 
you know, tropical environment of Singapore was not conducive to a whole lot of heavy braids. We can go explicit. It's fine. Okay. <laughs> and so I get out, but I was like, I don't know any black people who could do hair art in Singapore. So let me figure out what I'm going to do. And I was like, well, let me just cut it off. And I had already begun to kind of explore some stuff. Cause I don't know if you guys are familiar with Lauren Hill, but she was a really popular artist back in the day. And I loved her and she had locks and she had beautiful natural hairstyles. And I was beginning to kind of explore okay, what does it mean to kind of tap into the natural state of our texture? And how do I get what she had? Because she was gorgeous to me. So as a young person, you know, that was definitely a um, role model of mine. And then I'd also come across this book when I was in high school called, I forget the name of it, it was like, why should, uh, for color girls who consider like natural hair when the chemicals became too rough or something like that. It was a really cool book. And it was the first time I'd have been exposed to the tools on how to care for natural hair. And I don't know where I came across this. It was some random, probably like cultural event that I went to. But like I said, I was starting to get exposed and it began to open up this internal conversation with me around, okay, like why am I beginning to think that straight is the way to go or long is the way to go? And it was, yeah, and it started me on my journey. So that was the first time I cut my hair off. I've cut my hair off all, they call it the big chop, probably four times in my life. But it's all kind of brought me kind of full circle to continuing to always have this dialogue about like what does hair mean and what does beauty mean as a woman of color. Were there any, I mean, you just mentioned Lauren Hill, but was there at that point, I feel like growing up, it was like these magazines and it was definitely all centered. Like, was there on white hair and white styles, right? Was there any media source out there that celebrated black beauty? Black hair, you know, well, it's, I mean, yeah, there were definitely magazines. I mean, Essence, you know, has been around for years. You know, I grew up on that. I mean, that's all about kind of black female beauty of all types, makeup, fashion, the whole nine. You know, but there are a lot of like black hair magazines actually. And to be honest, like I probably didn't prove those as much as a young kid, but I mean like black hair, I think is one name. And there's probably a series of other ones out there that I probably just aren't remembering, but that's just all about the celebration of black hair. You know, like braids, weaves, wigs. You know I mean, you know, I, cause I think that's the joy of the fact that we have such versatility with our hair. We can try all kinds of things. And, you know, like I said, I'm a natural girl, but I have rocked weaves, I have rocked wigs, I have rocked braids, I have rocked all kinds of things. And I think it's about the expression of yourself more so than like demeaning or, you know, denigrating any particular style. But yeah, I mean, there were definitely magazines that you could peruse. But like I said, I mean, you know, I was a TV kid, you know, so a lot of it was like, what am I seeing on television? What am I seeing in the movies? What am I seeing in music? And music videos were such a big part of that era, you know, so you were kind of watching and seeing what people were doing. And I was always somebody who I think gravitated towards the different, you know, I didn't want to be like everybody else. So like I said, Lauren was such a powerful figure, you know, because she was doing different stuff. You know, she was one of like few female MCs, you know, she was a part of the Fugees, the music they were singing was consciousness. So there was a bit of that. I think that was very attractive. I totally remember. And remember when MTV and VH1 used to actually show music videos? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Those were the days. <laughs> days. Yes, absolutely. Totally. You just mentioned a whole bunch of different hairstyles. Can we back it up and just sort of talk about what those mean, what it takes to take care of them? How long does it take to do them and all those things? Yeah, definitely. I mean, so I will say, I mean, for me, I have a short teeny weeny natural afro right now. It's colored, it's red, it's blonde and all that good stuff. That is the simplest style. <laughs> like I get up, I spray some water on it, <laughs> fluff it out and I go. So for me at this stage <laughs> of my life, it is perfect. And I think, like I said, this is like the fourth time that I actually cut my hair off in my 
life. And it's, I'll be honest, the reason why I had to cut my hair off this time was because I was actually taking some medicine for a health condition that I have and my hair started falling out. And I was wearing it longer, still natural, but longer kind of to my shoulders. But I was like, well, I guess this is happening. Let me just go for it because I wanted to have more of a professional kind of slick look. And it eventually has become my signature look right now. I work for a show called Red Table Talk. My hair is red. <laughs> you know, it's You're all so about consistent. <laughs> <laughs> so that's been good. So I would say kind of on the spectrum, you know, for kind of ease and quickness. I mean, this is a style that's pretty good. And I wash it, you know, once a week. Conditioning is very important, especially because I have color in it now because color can strip um, natural hair and textured hair in an unhealthy way. But like I said, I mean, I've had braids. I mean, braids... I think are fairly easy to, to, once you get them in, they're easy to maintain, but they can take some time to put in. I mean, I've had braids that have taken, you know, six to seven hours to put in. Um, if they're smaller, you know, you can have cornrows, which go a little bit faster, you know, which are kind of braids that are kind of braided to your head, kind of back. And there's all kinds of beautiful styles right now with cornrows. I feel like they're having a renaissance right now. Um, I've been watching Gabrielle Union, the actress, and she's been rocking so many cool different like cornrow styles recently over the summer, a good protective style. Like I said, I've had weaves. <laughs> weaves can also take some time, and there's all kinds of ways you can put those in. But just to clarify for the audience, I mean, a weave is basically added hair into your own head, and they can be applied via glue, ironically. They can be applied via a sew-in, so they'll braid kind of your own natural hair down to your scalp, and then they'll take wefts of hair that have or wefts that have hair attached to them and then sew it in. And that can last for months. It all depends on how quickly your hair grows. They'll do something called tightening a weave. Well, they'll go in and kind of retighten the sewing to kind of keep it um, closer to your head. And there's probably been a gazillion developments in the weave world in the last five, six years that I'm not even aware of, but that people could kind of explore more. But there's all kinds of ways you can play around with that. And then there's, you know, more traditional, you know, kind of like relaxers. I mean, those are not as popular these days, I'll be honest. I feel like we've definitely moved into a renaissance where natural hair is the thing, you know, everybody is really leaning in towards that. You're seeing more products that have come out that you can get in, you know, mainstream box stores like the Targets and the CVSs of the world that I think are allowing for that. But again, there's still folks who love, you know, the kind of straight look. And that is achieved by, like I said, temporary attempts, I mean, sorry, temporary techniques, which involve like putting heat on the hair. So you might use like a flat iron or a straightening comb. And then, like I said, chemicals, which are more permanent, which is what a relaxer is, which you kind of put in your head. And usually a relaxer will last maybe like a month or two before your roots start growing out and you have to reapply it to keep it straight. But that's kind of like the quick 10 minute one-on-one tutorial of like all black hair styles. And I'm probably forgetting a ton that, you know, are not even in the mix because now oh, I forgot about locks. Oh my God. That's the other one. Yeah. Locks are more permanent, but more recently, you've been seeing a trend where people are getting faux locks, where they'll actually have the technique of kind of how you add braids to your hair, where you add additional hair, but instead of a braid, it's a lock. And, and they're beautiful. They call them goddess locks, and I have never done them. I want to try them, actually. It's one of my kind of bucket list items, but they're absolutely gorgeous. And it's a way for you to be able to experience the beauty of locks without having to have the permanency of them if you do it with your own hair. Yeah, because locks you have to cut out, basically. Once you are you done do. with them, you have to cut it all out, right? You have to cut them all out, yeah. <laughs> yeah, my mom was a lock girl. She had locks for probably 10 years. After being a very critical person of my natural hair, that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> <laughs> well, she's gone through her own hair journey as a woman of color because she wore nat relaxers for years. And when, it, when I finally cut my hair off, she was always like, why is your hair so kinky? It's so this, it's so that. I was like, mom, you are buying into the European stereotype. Stop. And eventually... <laughs> 
she came around and now she literally rocks a short teeny weeny afro just like mine. It's so funny. <laughs> Is there any like stereotype associate or like judgment associated with women who wear hair certain ways? In terms of who? Like from what perspective? Within the community of people of color or like have you experienced it also from outside the community? Like I said, I think today it's different. I mean, if we were having this conversation, you know, 10, 15 years ago, you would kind of get looked at. You know, I think there was this idea of like, you know, neatness in hair equated to a certain standard of beauty. You know what I mean? So like, you know, like I said, my hair is, you know, it's puffy and, you know, it's like kind of kinky and there are days where the curls are more defined than others. And some people may have perceived that as not, you know, professional or not neat. You know, I know there's been a huge, huge movement around the world, well, around in the United States, specifically just around like hairstyles in the professional workplace, you know, and like kind of, you know, the Crown Act that just passed in California and other things. So I think there were perceptions that unless you had kind of a straight style or something that wasn't necessarily leaning into your natural hair, people might judge you, which to me was horrible. I mean, I think that that's like completely, you know, unacceptable. But even within the black community, I think there were certain perceptions where, you know, good hair meant a certain texture. Maybe you were mixed. You know, you had a, like I said, a long grade of hair. You know, the idea that good hair was something that might have a kitchen in the back with kickle bugs, you know, was not a good thing. But like I said, I think that's shifting now. I think people are beginning to really release themselves of some of those perceptions. And, you know, in mainstream media, you're seeing a celebration of natural hair, you know, on shows, in music, you know, I think, you know, in magazines, you know, you see, and even, and I think that this is more than just hair. We don't need to go down that pathway. But, you know, when you think about just kind of like the issues of color, you know, like light skin versus dark skin and, you know, the prevalence of seeing more melanin hued faces in magazines now on runways, you know, on TV shows, I think is representative of the evolution that we're taking as the black community. But I think as a broader kind of mainstream community that that is good. Like we need to celebrate the beauty and the diversity of what being a woman of color looks like and feels like. That's awesome. Yes. <laughs> I mean, you mentioned, so we talked about the kind of styles that they are, like that there are out there a little bit, right? But so, and Misasha has a college roommate story that ties into this, but I didn't realize until we were at college that black women sometimes wrap their hair at night. Oh yeah. And you were talking yeah. a little bit about moisture is really important. Can you talk about the maintenance required for the black hair and whatever styles they're in? Absolutely. Yeah, no, no. I mean, this is a funny story. I mean, and I've done this, you know, when you get your hair done at the salon, you know, back in the day, like you want it to last, you know what I mean? Because <laughs> you spend money and it looks cute. So there are times where you literally like sleep sitting up in bed because you don't want to like mess up your hair by sleeping it, you know, laying down on a pillow. So I know there's a couple of stories from my childhood where that was absolutely the case. But yeah, no, I mean, hair maintenance is important because as I said, moisture for our hair is so, 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 so significant. And Oftentimes, tying your hair up has a couple of purposes, one of which is to kind of preserve the hairstyle, like I said. So maybe if you had your hair straightened and you want to wrap it, you would put the scarf on in order to kind of protect the texture so it doesn't like go from straight to curly overnight. If you have even a natural hairstyle and maybe you've done like a twist out or something like that and you want to protect that, tying it up helps to do that. The other thing is certain fabrics like cotton can actually extract moisture from the hair. And so oftentimes you'll have people who will tie their hair up with a silk scarf because silk is a lot more protective to our curls and from a moisture perspective, but also from like a tugging perspective. I don't know if you've ever seen 
I mean, I've had this happen where I've gone to sleep on a cotton pillow and I wake up and there's little curls in the pillow because the fabric, you know, just naturally kind of can pull on it. So you want to make sure that you're protecting your protecting the hair from that type of stress and pressure that can damage it over time. But it's absolutely a rite of passage. You know what I'm saying? Like whenever I hang out with my girlfriends and we're about to go to bed or have sleepover, everybody pulls their scarves out and like ties it up at night <laughs> to make sure that you're able to, you know, preserve the style for the next morning. So that's definitely a big thing. And then and beyond that, you know, for me, one of the things that I do pretty regularly is kind of like deep moisturizing and deep conditioning. And that, you know, involves kind of washing it regularly, but then literally putting on kind of like a deep conditioner product to let it sit for like 30 minutes, maybe under a hot dryer or throughout the entire day. I mean, I have friends who will literally put a deep conditioner in their hair put on a shower cap, put on a beautiful scarf so you can't tell what's going on underneath that hair and then go out during the day and then they come back and they've had a full day of deep conditioning because moisture is really, really important to keeping the health and integrity of kind of the hair shaft. And I think that's one of the reasons why people can kind of get that idea about the fact that like black women don't wash their hair regularly. It's not or black hair is dirty. It's not that. It's just that for us to wash our hair every day would strip all the natural moisture out of it, which would cause it to break over time. So you can't wash it every day. It's actually good that you allow the moisture to sit for some time. Um, so, you know, one or two times a week is probably the time frame that most people, most black women will kind of wash their hair. Does that answer that question? Totally. And more. Right? Well, because I mean, Misasha, you were talking about like your roommate wouldn't go out in the rain. Yeah, well, yeah. and now in my house, my husband and I have watched, if there's a Netflix movie that features black people, we have seen it. So, I mean, I'm serious, like, it's crazy. Netflix is, we're definitely an outlier in the Netflix scheme. <laughs> but so it's depicted in a lot more movies these days. But yeah, I mean, I didn't want to go outside because it was snowing and raining and I'm from LA. So, you know, I don't do that. But she was very adamant that she didn't want to go outside in the rain because of her hair. Yeah. And, uh, that was new to me. Yeah. Well, it's oftentimes, especially probably because her hair was in a straight style. Yeah. And, exactly. you know, moisture and curls do not go well together. <laughs> so yeah. if your hair is naturally curling, you expose it to some moisture, it's yeah. going to be a whole other conversation. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, <laughs> she was trying to preserve that style. Yeah. She, I mean, I was with her, but yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, that's why a lot of, they say a lot of white women don't like to swim. That's the other thing. Which, I mean, and I am a fish. Like, I... I'm from Seattle, Washington, grew up on the water, you know, was a competitive swimmer as a young kid, as a young girl. But to be honest, like I probably swam until about seventh grade. And part of the reason why I stopped was because of my hair, because the chlorine was starting to break my hair off. And, you know, for me, I just was like, mm, I need hair, you know, so it was tough because I think had I probably not had that issue, I may have gone a little bit further with it. But getting back to my point, yeah, I mean, I think that's why a lot of women of color are not the most, you know, likely to go to swim and even work out if you think about it, because when you sweat, if you have a straight hair texture, your style will be, you know, messed up. So even going to the gym, like right now, that's a big movement. I know people are trying to get over, like, how do you encourage people to still women to go to the gym and for health reasons, just because you want to be healthy, but the hair becomes a big deterrent from that. And that's when women tend to have straight hair. Like if you're wearing natural hair and you sweat, it still does. It wouldn't affect it in the same way. Correct? Absolutely not. Yeah. yeah. No, no. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. If it's straight. I mean, that's interesting because I remember a story of a kid who wanted to get in the pool, but was like, I can't. My mom will kill me because I just got my hair done. <laughs> and I think the women around her were like, I don't know what you're talking about. But that would explain why the girl was like, no, 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 I cannot do that. Yeah. No, I mean, listen, and the reality is black hair... Salon bills are not cheap. I mean, you know, you go to the salon, I mean, to get 
you know, for me, even with my, you know, short style, I mean, I could easily spend, you know, a hundred bucks just to get a color and wash and cut, you know, am I I'm very simple? I mean, I've spent almost $700 in a week before, you know what I'm saying? I mean, that's like not inexpensive, you know, and you know, if you go to get wigs, I mean, those can be seven, eight $900. I mean, you know, so it's not cheap. So the idea of going to the salon and spending 60, 70 bucks to get your hair done and then literally having it be destroyed the next day because you went to the gym or you, somebody got your hair wet or you went swimming, you know, those are significant trade-offs. So, well, then speaking of the salon, yeah, what role does the salon play for the community? I mean, Misasha, you again, we're talking about your husband here, but yeah, I mean, my husband tells stories of spending all of his Friday nights. Basically, he has three younger sisters and a mom, so they would all go to the salon, and he'd basically sit there for hours. <laughs> well, <laughs> so he doesn't have such fond memories of the beauty salon, but everyone else in his family does. And now we spend a fair amount of time at the barber shop, you know, the, sort of the one black barber shop in our area. And he really sees it as, you know, a center of community where you have conversations that otherwise you just wouldn't have. So I was so curious to hear about what you thought and if that's been a similar experience for you. Yeah, no, I mean, absolutely. You know, I think, you know, when I think about kind of centers of community within the black world, you know, the hair space is absolutely one. Barbershops, beauty salons, because it's a rites of passage in many ways. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, when you see like a young little kid boy go get his first haircut, like that's huge. You know, you're like, oh my God, you know, he's like, you know, coming around. And the same thing with, with little girls. You know, I remember when I went to the salon for the first time and I don't have a big family. So it was literally me. So I didn't spend hours, you know, I'm an only child and I, so I didn't spend hours in the salon. So I feel for your husband. <laughs> I imagine that might be hard. But, you know, it was, it's a big deal when you get out the chair and like they take the little, um, what do they call it? Like the little covering off for you and they like put the mirror in front of you, turn around and you're like shaking your head. I mean, it's absolutely an experience because it makes you feel like you're kind of coming into womanhood, you know, and having those experiences that you would do as a woman over time. It becomes a part of your routine. And because there's so many women gathered in one space that have various perspectives and, you know, journeys and struggles, it does become a place where people can really talk. You know, I find that not only are hairstylists, you know, beautifiers, they are therapists, <laughs> you know, they are, <laughs> you know, they know the gossip in the community, you know, and you're sitting in a space for so long, you know, it's only natural that you're going to start talking about things that are impacting you or, or going on in your life personally or in the broader community. So, Absolutely. You know, and it's interesting because I feel like beauty salons and barbershops have become conduits for us to begin to talk about broader issues impacting, you know, our culture, whether that be health related things. You know, I have a couple of people who work for nonprofits that have used barbershops to really, you know, get the word out about, you know, health awareness, you know, colon screenings and cancers and kind of using barbers as ambassadors for that because it is seen as like a safe kind of sacred space. You know, they say on Sunday mornings, the most segregated places in America are probably churches and beauty salon. You know what I'm saying? Like in terms of <laughs> knowing that you can go to a safe space <laughs> and be around your people and feel like you can be fully authentically yourself. So I love that. I mean, I think it's a beautiful part of our history. You know, I think this idea of the intimacy of somebody touching your hair, you know, and getting close to you and kind of that center, you know, you think about Samson and Delilah in the Bible. I mean, your hair is oftentimes in many ways seen as your strength. So having that intimate relationship with a hairstylist or a beauty salon person is special, you know, and you tend to stick with them. You know what I mean? Like 
when I lived in New York, my cousin would do my hair and she lived in Delaware. And I would literally travel on a train two hours <laughs> to get my hair done by her because she was so good. And I really appreciated the impact she had on me personally and in my beauty, you know, and I would probably fly to New York to this day to still have her do my hair, you know, if I didn't have some other things that were competing. So that bond is really strong, can be really strong. I love that because my husband tells me about when he was, he had come out from law school as a summer associate and the black partner who was his mentor was like, you probably don't know where to get your hair cut out here. Let me take you. And he took <laughs> you to the barber shop and he took him to the barber that he still goes today, you know, 13 years later. Absolutely. But that was a huge thing for him that he was going to, you know, go to this barber. And yeah, now my kids go there. Well, the one kid who will actually get his hair cut, <laughs> the barber shop does. And yeah, I mean, it, you're right. It is like a sort of a lifelong relationship in a lot yeah, of ways. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, when I had to, when I, I moved from LA to New York, about maybe like seven, eight years ago. And I had anxiety about finding a new hairstylist because <laughs> I had been going to my hairstylist for, you know, the many years I was living in LA. And I was like, oh my God, who am I going to find? And it took me a while. You, know, I kind of bounced around because I was like, oh no, this isn't really working. And then finally I landed on someone that worked, but it's real, you know, because not only are you just kind of used to them being able to do things to you in a certain way and get your hair to just right, you know, get that cut right or get that color right. But like you said, you end up kind of sharing some real intimate experiences and conversations. And so that's like a kind of a security place that you end up having to let go. So totally can relate. Yes. Well, and I love total side note to the hair thing. I mean, Misashi and I talked about the power of barbershop books, that platform that you really, really like, right? I love that they have plugged into that community. You want to talk about that a little? Love it. Yes. And the barbershop that my kids go to and my husband goes to has this. And it's great because it brings books into barbershops, like sort of a little, if you see it, it's like sort of three rows of like books that range in age from, you know, preschool to mm -hmm. my older son loves that they have Diary of Wimpy Kid in there. But it's really targeting boys who are, you know, ages four to eight, four to nine to read books while they're there or have someone read to them because literacy is such an important thing. And a lot of times you don't have the same access in certain communities or you don't have, and you also don't have male figures who are going to be there to help you with reading. So it's been so great. I love it. We give to them and it's great to see them grow. They got some national press coverage recently in the New York Times. That's awesome. I yes. love that. I love yes. it. Yeah, that is yeah. exactly the, the point. Yeah, that's wonderful. I love that. So speaking of then of doing hair in terms of mainstream media and getting coverage, one of the Kardashians, I can't remember which one, but had a mixed race child and was given kudos online for like asking for help. How do I do black hair? How do I do my child's hair? What did you think about that? Well, I mean, you know, listen, I think you got to ask, you know, if you don't know, you know, I mean, there's no shame in, I think, acknowledging that you need help because, you know, I mean, black hair is not necessarily the easiest thing to do. I struggle with my hair. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> You know, like I said, I had to get books on how to deal with how to manage my hair when I was younger, you know, so it's like you just wake up and you just know how to kind of deal with the texture and make sure that you're taking care of. Like I said, I've had my hair break off. I've had, you know, patches of things in my life where I was going to say a stylist that didn't know how to manage heat on my hair because I have fairly thin, fine hair. It may look thick, but it's actually very thin and fine and soft. And so she was putting too much heat on it and it was causing it to break off, like literally burning my hair off. You know, so I think the necessity around education with hair is real, you know, and I mean, you know, I don't know if you want to say kudos in terms of it, but, you know, I appreciate just like 
the honesty and the vulnerability in saying that. It's interesting. We did an episode on Red Table Talk featuring the woman from Sex in the City, whose name I'm forgetting right now, played Charlotte. And for those of your listeners who don't know, I mean, she has two black kids that she's adopted and has been taken care of. And she readily talked about how hair was like one of the biggest challenges that she had to deal with. And I guess in the adoption process, they actually have videos that they give you access to, to kind of teach you the things you got to learn how to deal with when you're managing, you know, a child, raising a child of a different culture. And and it was so beautiful because one of the videos featured this young lady, I think out of Texas or someplace, but she's literally launched a business around teaching, you know, kind of different cultured parents how to take care of textured hair. And it was so beautiful because you just saw how understanding this as a parent would light up the kids' faces because they were able to actually see and feel and receive how knowing their needs made them feel special. You know what I'm saying? Like you weren't trying to apply techniques that don't work for you to this particular situation. And it was so powerful. I mean, it was actually a really highly commented element of the show. And people were really, really, you know, just commenting on how beautiful that, what the work the woman was doing. So it's a journey. You know what I'm saying? I mean, listen, even to this day, there are times where I have to ask myself, okay, now, What's this new product I need to try out or, you know, because your body is an ever changing thing and your hair is just an extension of your body. You know, it's just, you know, a keratin stuff that's growing out of your head. So as I've evolved in my age, if I've evolved in the evolution of my, you know, stage in life, my hair has changed. So you're always having to continue to find out ways to make sure that you're taking care of it the best. And as a parent, you know, listen, I'm all about making sure that you're ahead of the curve when it comes to asking for help from experts. I liked what you said earlier, though, and going back to the child in your life, right? Like talking about how do you encourage them to be proud of who they are? And hair is a big part of that. I think in appearance is a big part of that in no matter what culture you are in. You know, what are the things that you're finding at that age? I mean, because I think kids of all ages question how they look relative to other, the media influence of all of that. Like, how are you finding that right now is the best way to encourage being proud, self-pride, I guess. Yeah, definitely. I mean, continually communicating that through words, I think is so important. You know, like you are beautiful, you know, like I love your hair in its beautiful puffy state, you know, like putting examples, whether that be, like I said, other people in the media, you know, I mean, she's a huge YouTuber, you know, in terms of like my boyfriend's daughter. So, you know, just trying to find examples of people that are living and demonstrating and walking in you know, living their life in a way that they aspire to and saying, look at how they're doing it. You know, there, she has her natural hair, or she's doing this, or she's, you know, expressing herself through her clothes in this way. Because I think just that kind of positive reinforcement and, you know, honestly, being able to show examples of people who are older and exemplify what they aspire to is so powerful. I mean, you know, I worked in media for 20 years, you know, as a young person, I lived abroad, like I said, in Asia. And the biggest takeaway for me, and that's what even propelled me to get into working in film and television, was being a young Black woman, young Black girl at that time in my teens, coming in contact with people who were literally putting me in a box because the only experience they'd had of a person of color was like what they saw on TV. And that was, you know, a singer, maybe a basketball player, somebody who sold drugs. But, you know, I was this nerd from Seattle, you know, who loved books and, you know, (laughs) had my little life. And, you know, not to say that it was like, rosy and beautiful, but you know, it was a chill life, you know, it was simple. So the power of media influencing perceptions of self became so, so apparent to me at such a young age. So even, you know, 25 years later, as I'm an adult, that's still the case. And we use a lot of that kind of stuff. 
And then just, you know, like I said, really experimenting and like showing her all the beautiful things that she can do with her hair, you know, all the different styles. Like I said, she's about to get goddess locks as she goes back to school, you know. I'm not sure how appropriate that is for an eight-year-old. We'll see. But, <laughs> <laughs> but my point is, you know, just sort of saying, look at all the cool things you can do and how beautiful you are and with those styles, I think goes a long way. You know, just set, saying that stuff. I think parents sometimes don't always realize the importance of just saying things to their kids, you know, like telling them and saying it over and over and over and over again. It makes a difference. I had like, my brain just fired in a few different directions. So I don't know which question we want to take first, but I had a question about, well, I mean, I love the idea of representation matters. We've always talked about that for me, even just being around Asian people when I lived in New York was very different for me compared to when I lived in an Asian vacuum when I was in Arizona for a little while. And so I also feel like even for people who are, I'm raising kids who kind of know they're a quarter Japanese, but we have all sorts of books that represent different cultures in our house. And I want more people to have that because that way we understand the representation for everybody. And then we don't just show our kids what they look like. Like it's just showing everybody every, all the different things. And that wasn't really a question. But then the second question was this idea of like, is cultural appropriation the right term? My kids right now, we just got back from Mexico. They right now have cornrows like they got braided on the beach and that's cute it's from mexico they'll take it out soon it's fine but like what is the perception of white people wearing traditionally black hairstyles yeah i know that's a ooh, that's a tricky one <laughs> <laughs> and i don't that's... know if there's a right answer and i don't there's no general answer maybe we can take this out if you don't want this to be <laughs> no it's fine i mean listen I, listen imitation to me is the greatest form of flattery you know what i mean i it's a fine line. I mean, kids on the beach getting their hair braided, beautiful. I mean, you know, it's fun. It's exploring. I think the only way you really get to begin to understand a person's experience is by kind of walking in their shoes and like, you know, how long does it take for them to sit there and get those braids? You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> you know, and then it's like, oh, you got to take it out. I mean, that is something that little black girls and boys deal with, you know, throughout their lives if they're going to wear cornrows. So, for me, you know, I think it's all about kind of intent, you know, and the underlying kind of impetus behind it. Because I do believe there are situations where it is inappropriate. You know what I'm saying? Like you're doing it because you want to exploit. You're doing it because you think it will get you, you know, a certain more follower. You know, like it's not coming from a place of genuine just like curiosity or love or celebration. It's coming from a place of I think I need to do this because it will you know, produce X results, which is not always, I think, coming from the most, you know, just kind of honest place, you know, and I think healthy place. So I think it does require a little bit of nuance and kind of how you examine that. You know, I mean, like I lived in Asia, you know, I traveled to Indonesia, you know, or Malaysia, and I wore traditional, you know, Muslim garb, you know, so is that appropriation? You know, I mean, am I, you know, like taking their culture and trying to do something in a negative way? No, for me, it was really just about, connecting and really understanding and having a beautiful experience while I was there. And I would never change that. You know, I still have, you know, beautiful traditional clothing from places I've traveled throughout the world, you know, getting Mindy when I've gone to India for weddings and all that kind of stuff, you know, so I feel like it's all about being a person of the world and really being able to appreciate differences. And I think being able to appreciate that sometimes comes from experiencing it yourself. So yeah, I mean, I mean, I don't know if there's like a, an easy answer to that one, like I said, listen, I have my other issues with the Kardashians and <laughs> no shame, <laughs> you know, so I don't know if they're the best example, but I think that holistically, you know, the more we can lean into 
as a people, just like celebration and coming at it from a place of love and elevation of the fact that different doesn't mean wrong, different doesn't mean bad, different is good. You know, we are all uniquely made and we all have our own special, beautiful components. And that's what we want to talk about. And having somebody say, you know, as a little kid, hey, mommy, like, I mean, I love the fact when I see little young, like white girls in love with little, little black dolls. They're like, I want my doll. You know, I mean, I love that, you know, because it's been the other way for so many years. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> have that best friend who is a little chocolate girl be with you when you go to bed at night. That's what we want. That's the beauty of it all. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> That's so great. <laughs> yeah. Is there anything else we didn't ask that we want to talk about, upkeep, hair, or any of this sort of stuff? Um, hmm. You know, well, here's the thing. I do want to say a little bit about the, like, touching people's hair. <laughs> Because I think that, you know, I think that as a follow on from my last statement, because I think curiosity is important, but at the same time, there is a limit. You know, you have to just respect people's space. Because <laughs> I have a funny story, and this might be a little bit TMI, so you guys can cut this out. So I live in Asia, obviously, as I said, and I traveled to South Korea at one point. And I don't know how many of you are familiar with the idea of like South Korean baths, you know, like the big kind of like communal spaces. They're amazing. If you've never gone to one, please do it. They have them in, in America too, but we went to um, kind of an onsen. And there was me and another black girl. And you can imagine we're the only two black girls in this space. And when I tell you the level of curiosity went way too far because you have to be naked in this place. I follow where you're going. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> Tim to I... touch, I will leave it there, <laughs> was shocking. And I was like, oh my God, stop, no. Did they really try to touch you? Absolutely. <laughs> they were like, what? <laughs> <laughs> It was oh, me wow. and my girlfriend. Yeah, it was like, whoa, wait, no, you know, I understand you're like, never seen this before, but there's certain places on the body you don't want to touch. But it's a funny story for me that I just always kind of hearken to whenever I hear stories about people trying to touch their hair, because that's a very extreme version of like, you know, invading body space. But I think it's important to just be respectful. You know what I'm saying? Because obviously, to Sasha's point, I mean, you know, you're not just going up touching people's bellies all the time, you know, so... I think I will reinforce, you know, the need to kind of be respectful, ask, you know, again, I have always been open to sort of saying, hey, yeah, you can feel it, you can touch it, because I love my hair and I, want, I love people to touch my hair, but not everybody's the same. So I think that's just like a funny little story I'll share <laughs> to sort of let people know the, the plight of us at times that we are the kind of one of the few in the room <laughs> and people are trying to learn. <laughs> I think I'm actually not speechless right now. I know, I would, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's interesting you say about the asking, because I, I can't remember if I said this in the last episode or not, but when I spoke to, I have a, a white friend who has very, very, very curly hair, and I asked her when we were preparing for this episode, does anybody touch your hair? And she just got this big smile on her face. She goes, I know what you're talking about. And she goes, no, I've seen it happen. They ask me. They don't ask people of color. And I see it like people right next to us. They'll ask me for permission first, and they'll just go ahead and touch other people. And I thought, I was like, wow, that's really observant and interesting and telling. Whatever judgment words we want to put on it, right? Like, It is. No, it's, I mean, you know, like, this is a whole, probably another podcast conversation, but, you know, just this idea of the lack of seeing us, and I said as people of color, as people. You know what I mean? Like, we're not seen as, you know, worthy of the same, I think, respect and consideration that you give to other people. And, you know, we got to change that, you know, and I think something as simple as like asking permission to touch hair is the first step, you know, beyond all the other, you know, things that are happening in the world right now to us. But yeah, I absolutely 
it's interesting to see to hear that because I would imagine that was the answer. So to have that kind of anecdotal example is very telling. I'm really glad that you're here. And speaking of like not being seen or whatever, total side note, I get to meet with a woman named Shanicia Boswell. She launched the Black Moms blog. Oh, cool. Okay. I don't know if you've heard of it, but like that might be a no. resource. Just it's out there because she was like, there's so many few things celebrating black motherhood in this country. And so if that helps in any way, I just wanted to make that connection. Yeah. Um, well, I'm always looking for interesting, you know, people and movements for the show. So that's good to know. I'll okay. definitely check it out. All right, yeah. Cool. That sounds Absolutely. good. Misasha, anything else from you? No, I mean, I spent this whole podcast episode basically nodding so hard. I think my head is going to come off because I loved it. <laughs> this conversation has been so great. Oh, goodness. Well, I listen, you know, like I said, I have had my own personal journey. You know, I've had ups and downs with the hair and I'm in a really good place with it right now. I think more so just because you kind of get to a place where you're OK with you. You know what I mean? And you're not really stressing about the external perceptions of what people think about you. So I celebrate everybody else as they go on their journey as well and, you know, continue to have these conversations because the reality is it's still something that an eight-year-old girl in my household is dealing with, you know, a four and a six-year-old in your household is dealing with. And I think it's continued communication about this, which is what Red Table Talk is all about, especially that allow us to kind of move forward and come up with solutions. So we all get to a better place. So celebrate hair, everybody listening. Celebrate you. <laughs> I love it. Thank you, Kiwi. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you. Oh, my pleasure. Absolutely. If you love what you're hearing, please subscribe to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a rating and review while you're at it. Also, if you're looking for some great email, who isn't, sign up on our website, dearwhitewomen.com, and get our weekly email every Wednesday that gives you special bonus insider tips. You can also find us on social media. Sarah, can you tell us where to find? Absolutely. On Facebook and Instagram at Dear White Women Podcast, and on Twitter at DWW Podcast. Find us there.